Uh, to put it in some context for the viewers, this is a five-layer embossed feather pattern individually packed toilet paper. This is a gift for you. Is it for me, bro? Yes, Rash. Wow, thank you so much, brother. Hey guys, welcome to our next episode of the Modern Wealth Podcast, where we, where we aim to empower, enrich, and help evolve your lives to the next level. We have some amazing guests who come through to share principles on business, investing, finance, health, and today we have an absolute rock star. Uh, you know, he's a brother from another mother. He was a secondary school friend of mine. You know, he's a world champion. Uh, a record breaker in his industry, a top sales guy. Dude, this guy is the top 1% in business, right? And I cannot wait to introduce him. He's my brother from another mother. His name is Shing. Shing, say hi, brother. Good morning, everybody. My name is Shing. Thank you for the very kind words, Rash. Amen. Dude, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Give the guy some introduction, like who you are. You know, you know tell us a bit about yourself. All right, so my name is Shing, mm. uh, to the audience out there. Uh, I won't say how old I am this year, but I'm relatively young and a relatively fertile age. <laughs> but, uh, yes, I'm in the financial services industry. I've been in, in this industry for three years, mm. right? And yes, like you mentioned, very fortunate that uh, as of this year, I've already qualified for top of the table, 2024. Wow. So to put it in some context, right? Uh, we hear MDRT a lot in our industry. It stands for Million Dollar Round Table. Mm. So for the typical Million Dollar Round Table producer, they typically take home about 80 to 100K every year, right? So a TOT producer is six times that of an MDRT producer. Holy shit, brother. Very nice, very nice, very nice. That's amazing, bro. And that in just three years. Absolutely. I think these three years have been an interesting and long journey, okay. but I think we'll get to that later. Wow, wow, incredible, incredible. Dude, okay, before we get into all that mean, right? You know, one thing I really believe is that, uh, you know, top achievers in life, there's always some level of foundation, right? Mm. There's some level of foundation, there's some level of like grit uh, that was built early on, right? Mm. What was that for you, bro? Right? Mm. If you can rewind back, when, when was the first, you know, tenets of, uh, you know, these qualities being built in you? Mm, in terms of grit? Yeah, sure. Right. So maybe I'll just rewind my life uh, to somewhere in secondary school, mm. right? Um, as you know, I, I went to NJC, mm. which is National Junior College. Yep. And a fun fact to the audience out there today, my O-level score was 13, mm. 1-3. And NJC's cutoff point uh, is typically about 4 or 6, Yes. right? So I think this was a very pivotal moment of my life. I think a lot of things started at this stage of my life. Um, so back when I was secondary four, right? Mm. At the end of secondary four, typically um, there is an organization that organizes a, a camp at our, at our school, mm. right? And the organization is YMCA. Mm. So YMCA, they hold a camp for the intellectually disabled, mm. right? At different venues throughout uh, Singapore. So that year it happened to be at our secondary school, mm. right, which was St. Gabriel's, right? So they took it, they had volunteers from all over the place, from the different tertiary institutions, the universities, the polys, all the different volunteers, they will come to St. Gabriel's, right, to spend two nights, a mm. three-day, two-nights camp with the intellectually disabled. Mm. And typically these participants, this is the only time in their entire year when they will be able to spend one or two nights outside of their home mm. because they need close supervision, right? So as a student leader in the school, I was naturally part of this organizing committee, 
right, to, to host these people from all over the place mm. at St. Gabriel's mm. to host these people with intellectual disabilities. Mm. So at that time, uh, I met up with one volunteer. Her name is Dawn. Shout out to Dawn if you're listening to this. Uh, her name is Dawn and she was a year two medicine student, right? And as a, as a boy from St. Gabriel's, you know, we were from a neighborhood school. I was quite amazed because yes, here I am talking to somebody who's going to be a doctor in the future, right? To a young secondary four student, this, this is something that is really admirable. So she was telling me she was from National Junior College and she was telling me that she's from the canoe and dragon boat team in National Junior College. Mm. She graduated from there. And so a name came out, right? And that name was called Mr. Yong. Mm. Mr. Yong is one of the legendary canoe coaches in Singapore, mm. right? And because of his outlook towards training and discipline, uh, at that time, NJC was uh, champions for canoeing six years in a row. Wow. So she was telling me about how she was from that team and, you know, where did I want to go after O-levels? Mm. Do I want to, you know, uh, go to the typical JCs that we go like SA or CJC mm. or, you know, uh, am I looking at some other JCs like NJC? So to me, it was like, wow, NJ is the top five JC in Singapore. Mm. Typically, uh, from our cohort, every cohort, there's about five students mm. who make it to the top five JC. Mm. So to me, it was like a little fantasy. But you know, hey, I, I, I decided, why not? Right? She, she, she seemed genuine. She mm. seemed to have a path for me to go to NJC. Mm. And the way was through canoeing. Mm. Right? So what happened was, after this episode, she actually linked me up with the NJC canoe and dragon boat team. Mm. Right? Um, to put some context for you, uh, they train up to 14 times a week. 14 times a week? Yes. Holy that is shit. the price of being a champion. Wow. Right? So, typically, I think you would know that there is a three, first three months thing in JC. Mm. I think your batch yes. was the same, right? So, first three months is based on your preliminary score, right? Your prelim score. Mm. Subsequently, based on your actual O-level score, right? You're posted to a JC based on that. Mm. So, of course, I, in my first three months, they call it the JAE period, Joint mm. Admissions Exercise, mm. right? or PAE, I think that's PAE, mm. Provisional Admission Exercise. First three months, I was posted to CJC. But at the same time, I was also training with NJC mm. because the out, my desired outcome was I want to appeal into NJC through canoeing, mm. right? Even though I had no canoe experience. Mm. But this was the, the special thing about Mr. Young because he looked out for your attitude rather than your talent. Mm. So even though I had no canoeing or dragon boat experience at all, he said, come and train with us. We'll try to appeal you into NJC through canoeing. Mm. So it went on for three months. Mm. I was studying at CJC. In the mornings, I would do the land program mm. for the NJ canoeing teams, which means I go to the track, do my own push-ups, sit-ups, running and everything. Mm. Subsequently, I had lessons at CJC. Lessons finished at about 3 to 4 p.m. I'll go to McRitchie Reservoir, join the NJC team for training mm. for the first three months in hopes of me going into NJC through canoeing. Wow. And so it passed that when the, the decision came for mm. the school to accept me, for NJ to accept me, they decided to accept me through canoeing mm. to go into NJC. Wow. I think that was a very pivotal moment of my life because in terms of what followed after that, it was two years of extreme discipline, extreme consistency. Mm. To put it in some context for you, Rash, um, I stayed at Aljunit. Mm. Aljunit is in the east of Singapore. Yes, yes. National Junior College is in the west of Singapore. Mm. Our training start at 6.30 a.m. Mm. every morning. Wow. So I had to leave house at 5.50 a.m. for the first bus to 
catch to go to NJC to reach there by 6.30. Our morning training starts, it ends about 7, 7.15. Mm. We change up, morning assembly starts at 7.30. Yes. We study until 3 to 4 p.m. Then we take the bus to McRitchie Reservoir, water training for 2 to 3 hours to about 6 to 7 p.m. Debrief, dinner, I take the bus back to Aljunit, it's back to about 9 to 10 p.m. Wow. Homework and then sleep. Mm. This went on for about two years. Mm. But at the end of two years, Resh, Singapore sent its first ever dragon boating team mm. to the Olympics of Dragon Boat, mm. right? It's called the World Dragon Boat Racing Championship. Mm. And during that event, we actually took home the world title. Wow. You right? selected for the competition. Absolutely. So the team was made up of 95% uh, NJC canoeists. Mm and 5% from Hua Chong mm. because there were not enough quality canoes, mm. right? So it was basically a youth squad mm. that comprised majority from National Junior College wow. because as canoeists ourselves, uh, we will be very strong on the water. Yep. So when canoeists, you put a canoeist, like 20 canoeists on a dragon boat, the dragon boat flies. Mm. And that, that year we knew that we have a very strong team. Mm. Of course, there are sacrifices for that two years that led up to that. But yes, those sacrifices paid off. Good. And I think a very defining moment of my life was when I saw Singapore on the board. Wow. Singapore 1, China 2. Wow. And the difference was 0.4 seconds. Shit. Yeah. Shit. So Resh, that is, that is um, that two years of grit. That dude, really taught talk me talk about to life. me about how fit were you, man. How many pull-ups <laughs> could you bang out? What was it 2.4? Like, dude, tell me, man. So, Resh, uh, my personal best yeah. uh, in JC, yeah. during my peak, yes. my 2.4 timing was eight, 8 minutes and 22 seconds. <laughs> and the pull-ups was uh, 30, uh, 30 to 35. 30 I can't remember the exact number, but yes. Holy shit, bro. Those were the peak times. Wow. Uh, yes, those, wow. those were good times. You peak know. fitness, huh? Absolutely. Peak fitness, peak resilience, peak everything. Huh? And peak mentality. Mm. Because... We were juggling studies. Mm. Ultimately, we're JC students. Mm. We need to study for our A-levels. Mm. We're juggling studies together with our sports pursuits. Mm. And that was for the glory of Singapore. Mm. So, to be honest, those two years taught me the art of balancing. Mm. It also taught me the art of staying consistent mm. and having the grit to push through with whatever plan we follow. Mm. And that means repeating a lot of mundane tasks daily. Right, be, knowing that there's a bigger picture in mind. Wow, wow, wow. Which year did you win the World Championship again? This was in 2009. 2009, yeah. huh? Wow, incredible, bro. So happy for you, right? Dude, I want to ask you a question, right? So, you know, obviously you have to build up individual strength. But dragon boating, you know, in NJC, it's mm. also a team sport, mm. pretty much, right? So, what about a team did you learn? A championship winning okay. team. Okay. So, wow, this is a very good question, Resh. Mm. Uh, so, you see, we were all individual canoeists. Right? I think one thing that I remember my coach always told me, right? his name is Mr. Yong Yuan Cheng. Everyone has to pull your own weight in the dragon boat. Mm. Right? Pull your own weight, not just physically. Because as students, we also had to balance against our studies. Mm. Which means we don't want the sports to be so good and then your studies, you're failing. Mm. So I think one distinctive thing that I remember that taught us a lot about teamwork is he ensured that every one of us had to do well in our studies. If we didn't do well in our studies, for example, you fail a certain subject, you are prevented from training. Wow. So he stops you from training. And because you, are, you, you, you stop training, you will also affect the whole strength of the dragon boat. Mm. So there's a sort of peer pressure there. Wow. Right? So yes, in terms of teamwork, not just in terms of brute force, but yes, in terms of 
applying this to other aspects of your life, mm. other aspects of studies, your well-being, mm. right? So, I guess to answer your question about teamwork, I remember a point in our training years, right, in NJC, where 10 of us, we did sub-9 of 2.4 together, mm. right? And that was an amazing feat, I think, because, again, a lot of them were like me. They had no canoeing background. Mm. In fact, most of the guys, I remember, what, there were people from band, like the symphony mm -hmm. band, uh, they had one that was from a uh, dance club mm. in secondary school mm. and there were some from uh, NCC, mm. right? So that taught me so much, especially when you have each other pushing you mm. every day, mm. not just in terms of sports and fitness, but in terms of studies, mm. right? And when you can achieve this level of teamwork, when you can achieve this level of uh, self-responsibility, mm for the larger team purpose. Mm, mm. I think this can apply to many aspects of our life, even up to today. Incredible, man, incredible, dude. Like, that's really the championship winning mindset, literally, right? Mm. So you were blessed enough to be privileged to be part of the team, a championship winning team at, you know, peak physical height, that's amazing. So how was Army for you, bro? Like, I, <laughs> you know, I assume- So Rich, so Army was, uh, to be honest, was quite a breeze. So uh, I was best PT. Oh. In, during my BMT days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Subsequently, I was interviewed for a very specialized position huh. uh, called the recce. Okay. Right? So it's like the scouts, yes, reconnaissance yes, yes. unit. So I wouldn't delve into too much there, yeah. but uh, suffice to say, um, the recce commander course, it was, uh, it's something that is uh, quite renowned mm. in, the, in, in the SAF, mm. right? In terms of its uh, mental toughness mm. and mm. physical uh, toughness of the whole course. I would say two aspects of army, mm. right, uh, in the recce unit that I think stood up for me. In a recce unit, you need to have two qualities. Mm. Number one, you need to be able to work solo mm. because you need to be able to uh, be in a position for a long time mm. to observe enemy activities, yep. right? And number two, you need to have endurance, mm. physical endurance. Mm. Again, it comes down to the fact that you are in outfield for a long period of time, mm. right? So I think these qualities were very well trained. Uh, back uh, in my uh, national team days, mm. right? So army, to be honest, was quite a breeze for me. Mm. Yeah. So you really breezed through that, huh? But you know, so you know, um, what were your aspirations then? Mm. Right? So like, following that, following mm. army and everything, mm. was it to be a full-time sportsman? Mm. Did you want to make money? Mm. Like, what was it at 21, 22 years old? Once you ORD, right? Mm. Uh, what do you want to do? Or do you want to travel? Right. So, Resh. <laughs> When I came out of army, right? Yeah. To be honest, at that point of time, I did not want to go to university. You didn't want to go to university? Yes. Because during my army days, I was already giving tuition. Yep. And it was giving me quite a healthy income for an army boy, you know? Mm. You're drawing about four to five K mm. just by tuition alone. Because you could do it. Because when I booked out on the weekends, I packed my, my, packed my Saturdays and Sundays with tuition. Wow. Right? So, and I was riding a motorbike. And at that point of time, Besides tuition, I was also buying and selling motorbikes. Wow. So I was doing motorcycle trading. Interesting. So that gave me quite, quite, a, quite, quite a good income. Okay. Right? And to be honest, at that point of time, I was nearly not going to pursue my university studies. Mm -hmm. But you know, just like every uh, Asian kid, yeah, yeah. they want to fulfill their parents' aspiration. I sure. told myself, this is the last time I'm going to do something that, to fulfill my Asian obligations. Mm -hmm. So I decided to take a degree in, mm. at NUS, mm. right? So I studied real estate mm. at NUS, which focused a lot on <coughs> property development, investments, urban planning, valuation and mm. such. Mm. Yeah. Wow. 
And following that, like, so was it real estate? Was the dream real estate? You became an agent? No, actually, I thought real estate was something that is not overly general, mm. like a business degree. Sure. Right. So after I came out of army, yep. I actually went on some uh, solo trips ah. to find myself. Yes, right? yes, find yes. Myself. Yeah. Uh, I, I looked at a map, right? I wanted some place that wasn't too far. That was first criteria. Sure. Number two, some place that was relatively cheap. Okay. So I could stretch my buck. Yep. Right. And number three, I want somewhere with an interesting history. Mm. And when I looked at the map, Vietnam came out as a very <laughs> interesting, interesting place, place, right? Because it has a very unique history. Mm. It was the Chinese, followed by the French, mm. followed by the Americans. They were the first Southeast Asian country to defeat uh, world power, mm. right? America in, in yep. the Vietnam War, yep, yep, yep. right? So I decided, okay, let's do Vietnam. So I decided to, I, I flew into Hanoi, mm. I bought a ticket to Hanoi, mm. and in between that, I, I bought another return ticket from Ho Chi Minh City. Mm. From some context, uh, Hanoi is in the north, Ho Chi Minh City is in the south. Mm. So I told myself I had one month to make it from the north, which is Hanoi, to Ho Chi Minh City. Mm. So I bought a motorbike, 400 US dollars, mm. in the north. Mm. And I rode it all the way to the south, wow. Ho Chi Minh City. So I made it in uh, one month. Wow. Right? But you know, that trip, I didn't know any Vietnamese. Uh, it was a totally new country to me. Okay. That sparked a lot of interest in that country for me. Sure. So when I came back, uh, university started, yeah, yes. I decided, hey, on top of my degree, the university offers language programs too. Okay. Right? So for example, you want to take Korean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Indonesian, Japanese, sure. and they do it in a quite ac academic setting. Mm. So it's not just conversational, mm. right? It's a, it's a proper uh, language program. Mm. So they had number one to number six, mm. right? So for example, Japanese one to Japanese six. Mm. For me, of course, it's Vietnamese one to Vietnamese six. Mm. When I joined the program, Vietnamese one, mm. there was like about 60 people, mm. right? You know, all like, oh, I want to learn some Vietnamese, Sin Chao, you know? Huh. Uh, by the time I reached Vietnamese six, three huh. years later, huh. there were two of us. Wow. Right? So, all dropped out, huh? Yeah, because as you get to the higher level, you really need to have some kind of interest wow. and also have some kind of grit to wow. finish the whole program. Wow. So, but yes, when you had that level of teaching, because oh. at Viet 6, it was only two of us, wow. we learned a lot because it was almost like private tuition. Oh, bro. So you literally, you have the highest level of competence in Vietnamese? I would say so. Wow. For real? I, I thought I, it was just Sin Chao. <laughs> How are you? No. Yeah, yeah. So fresh. Wow. I, I, I do know a little bit of Vietnamese. Okay. Right? okay. And because of that, uh. at the end of year two, uh. Uh, Capital Land, right? Capital Land has uh, many uh, different uh, departments under them, right? Yeah. They have the residential, office, commercial, shopping malls. The Escort Limited, which is a service residence arm of Capital Land, they actually gave me a scholarship mm. because they wanted to expand their footprints in Vietnam. Mm. So they sponsored my year three and year four of university, mm. which means after I graduated from university, I worked with them for two years. Mm. Yeah, in a corporate setting, I was a management trainee. Mm. I was rotating between uh, different departments. Mm. So I was at, first I was at operations, mm. right? So, you know, all the different functions, engineering, housekeeping, mm. receptionist, all that. Mm. I had a stint at strategic projects, mm. right? Looking at some of the projects that Capital Land wanted to roll out. Mm. And of course, I had another stint in Vietnam, mm. naturally, mm. doing business development there. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. So, dude, so um, bring us forward, brother. Like, so um, financial advisory, how mm. did that come around? Like. At what point do you decide, I want to take the leap of faith to be self-employed, mm. to do this thing? Mm. Great. So when I was in Vietnam, right, yeah. uh, that was my final stint mm. with the Escort Limited. 
that point, I was doing business development. What does it mean? So Escort Limited, they manage a building for you, mm. right? For example, you talk to a building owner, let Escort manage this for you, we'll take a certain percentage of the profit margin, right? So my role there was basically to talk to building owners. Typically, they are the upper strata of society, right? Entertain them and say, hey, let Escort manage this for you. So there was a lot of entertainment, drinking mm. in particular. That was a work culture in Vietnam, mm. right? Pretty similar to China. Mm. So I remember there were sessions that we start drinking at 7 p.m. Mm. and end at 12 midnight. Wow. And it was just mm. shots after shots of Martel or Shivas, mm. right? And I think at that point, that was when it hit me. Mm. Can I be in a corporate setting like this for the rest of my life? Mm. I think this line of lifestyle of drinking and entertaining, my liver will definitely take a hit. For sure, bro, yes. did. <laughs> so that was when the first thoughts come in, you know, uh. can I do this for the rest of my life? Yeah. I don't think so. Mm. So when my bond ended, mm. right, with my final stint in Vietnam, mm. I decided, okay, I needed to do something with my life, mm. especially at that point of time, I'm still young. Mm. I think I was only um, 26, 27, mm -hmm. right? I needed to try something different. Mm. So I came back, I, I rested for a while and I linked up with my friend, Elijah. Mm. He's the owner of Elijah Pies, mm. right? At that point of time, he was already in his Elijah Pies business, mm. doing pretty well, mm. okay? And he was uh, renting this place, a baking studio. Mm. So I decided, hey, I want to help you out, uh, just to pass time. I just want to take some time. I just left my corporate job mm. before I transit to another position. Let me just help you deliveries, you know, bake some pies, mm. whichever it is. Mm. So I helped him out. Mm. So at the studio that he was at, right? Uh, previously, it was called uh, Butter and Bake. Mm. So eventually, the, the owner was conducting team building classes, mm. corporate team building classes, right? She did it out of a small setting, very small, very small sessions. So me and this Elijah, one fine day, we heard that she, was, she, was, she wanted to stop that business, right? So we decided, hey, why not? We'd, let's go and revamp this whole business. Let's do it. Let's make it our project. Mm. So that was the start of Baker's Origin, mm. right? Baker's Origin was founded about in, I think in 20, 2020, 2018, right? And we focused on corporate team building. So Elijah was the one that taught the participants how to bake the pies. Mm. I was the PR and the HR and the BD person, okay. right? So it went quite well, mm. to be honest with you. We were on GBs with the government procurement portal. Sure. So a lot of companies like from the Attorney General's Chambers, MOE, they came to our studio at Crawford Lane mm. to do team building classes. Sure. Right? A typical setting is maybe like 30 packs. Mm. We break them up into six groups of five. Mm. Right? Everyone is tasked with baking a certain item. Mm. Right? And then we'll play some games along the way. Sure. The main point was team bonding. Okay. So it went on for one year. Uh. Then COVID hit. Oh, man. Yeah. And when COVID hit, <clears throat> we are a business that focuses on bringing people together. Yeah, so when people cannot anymore. gather, we can't. Yeah. So we decided to change strategy, right? To hands party, bachelorette parties. Oh, wow. Right? Then, yes, it was a nice time, but very, very small groups. Yeah. From a business perspective, it doesn't really make sense. Mm, no financial sense. That, that's right. Mm. But yes, our first year profits mm. were able to sustain us for the next two years mm. of almost no business or just small hands party wow, classes. Wow, wow. Right? So until... Eventually, we decided, okay, I think it's, it, 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 it's, it's, maybe it's time to move on, mm. right? But to answer your question, back when I was doing Baker's Origin, right, towards the end of it, I decided, hey, why not uh, take up a property agent license? Mm. Because I was from NUS Real Estate. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I didn't have to take the papers. Okay. 
So why not just take the license, the CEA, you know, uh, license just and try it out. So there I was, I, was, I went to be a property agent mm. for, and it, it was close to a year. Mm. Did not too bad, I would say. Um, in terms of property, it, it, the market in Singapore is very dynamic mm. and it's very buoyant and it's a lot of activity and it still continues to be a lot of activity. Yep. Uh, I guess your question would be what made the switch from property or why the switch from property yep. to wealth management, sure, sure, sure. right? So in property, every house is different, mm. which means sometimes you, the sales cycle is also different. Mm. The sales cycle is longer mm. because the sales, you can bring a client to view 20 houses. It might not be satisfactory mm. because, you know, maybe this house, the facing not good, the other house, uh, the windows not nice, this one, the, 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 the layout not good, mm. right? So the sales cycle is longer. So I think in 2021, I linked up with a friend, right? He was doing, um, he was in the insurance line, mm. right? And his business model was very different. Mm. Or rather his group's business model was very different. Mm. His group's business model was door knocking mm. and cold calling. Wow. And basically it's a, it's a brute force method, right? You just call mm. X number of calls equals X number of appointments, mm. X number of appointments, X number of closing, mm. right? And that one really didn't require much of expertise. You just mm. need to be very disciplined. So I decided, hey, at that point of time, I wanted to buy a house. Mm. I wanted uh, the cash flow in fast, mm. right? Rather than in a property, uh, property line where sometimes the sales cycle can be very long. Yeah, six months sometimes, yeah. yeah. So I decided to take a leap of faith. Mm. I joined uh, my friend, right, in that company. So we are doing purely cold calling. Mm. Every day, I did about two to 300 cold calls. Wow. Right? In the morning, about one and a half hours. In the afternoon, about two hours. Mm. And all the appointments were set at night. Mm. So this was my typical day. Cold wow. call in the morning, afternoon, at night is all the appointments. Mm. Typically, every night we, we target for about four to five appointments mm. because you might not close all. Mm. On Zoom or what, bro? No, face to face. Face to face, huh? yeah. Wow. So I packed it all the way from 6 p.m., one hour by one hour. Mm. Right? So about four to five. So it went on for one year. Mm. But, you know, in that one year of doing that, I hit MDRT. Wow. Just by doing cold call. Wow. But it was very crazy because the hustle was on, man. It was every day, mm, mm, mm. Wow. meet the clients at night, do it, close. So that was what went on in my life for Crazy. close to a year. Dude, you are, you are very used to doing the same mundane things again and again. <laughs> huh? I think that the, the, the years in canoeing and dragon boating uh, taught me the power of small, consistent action. Ah. Right? Because I have this phrase which I, I, I hold very dear to me. Right? And for the sake of the audience, let me face them and talk to them. Mm. Right? Consistency will not guarantee you success but not being consistent will guarantee you won't succeed, right? So this is, this is one phrase that I really hold dear to me. Mm. And I see a lot of uh, top sports people, top business people, that consistency is key. Mm. And I try to inculcate it in my daily life. Mm. Yeah. Incredible, bro, incredible. So that's the, the, the seeds of, you know, what it takes to really succeed. Huh? So that was the first year and then you moved on to another firm and you know, and what was the change to get you from one yeah. to six, bro? Right, <laughs> like that's that's a huge difference, Great. right? Yeah. So what was the yeah, bro? You, you know my question. Great. So, Resh, let's 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 say I put uh, maybe a person, right? Mm. Let's say I put you mm. in a Seven Eleven, 
versus I put you in a Porsche showroom. Mm. You put in the same amount of effort and work. Mm. Every day you work eight hours, right? In a 7-Eleven versus every day you work eight hours in a Porsche showroom. Mm. Which one do you think will bring you more money at the end of the day? Porsche probably. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's your environment, right? Because in my environment, the items that I'm closing every day is very small, mm. right? Previously? Absolutely, okay. during my cold call days, okay. right? But that's why we need we need quantity. Mm. I need to meet like, wow, four or five people every day mm. just to be able to hit MDRT, mm. right? So I guess at a, point, at, a, at a point in my life, I decided, okay, I need to move on to more high value items. Mm. Higher value items. Absolutely. And I, had, I needed to have more value, mm. which means I needed to have clients who are coming to me for certain expertise mm. and certain knowledge, mm. right? So I decided to upskill and I decided, okay, I needed to find a new place to go, mm. right? That's when I linked up with my buddy, Eddie, mm. right? We decided, okay, why not? Uh, let's find a new place to set up our home base, which we did in September of 2022, which is just one year back, mm. right? We decided to set up a, a, a new base, right? To do business, mm. focusing on retirement planning, mm -hmm. right? And of course, our clientele, is more towards the mass affluent already. Mm. So there you go, the shift from the 7-Eleven mm. which I was in to Porsche, to the Porsche showroom, wow. right? I think that is the key factor mm. that allowed me to almost six times my income, mm. right? You want to make money, market. you go from 7-Eleven to Porsche. There you go. <laughs> but, but Rash, I think a lot of this also boils down to your willingness mm. to learn new things mm. and get out of your comfort zone. But dude, everybody wants to work in the high level market, mm. but not everybody succeeds. Mm. What separates the best from the rest? Absolutely. So, Resh, mm. I'm going to sum this up to you in DCA. Tell me, man, what's DCA? What is DCA to you, Resh? Dollar cost averaging, brother. Absolutely. So, this is, I think, what most uh, wealth managers uh, want you to adhere to, right? Mm. Because it is indeed a proven method. Yep. Dollar cost averaging. Mm. So, buying in with, irregardless of the market condition. Yes, yes, so, yes. in the long term, your investments will see that capital appreciation. Mm -hmm. But, Resh, my DCA is slightly different. Tell me. Because my DCA is discipline, consistency, and attitude. Wow. Right? And I think if you can do these three things very well, mm. there is nothing to stop you from succeeding, not just in going to the high network market, but in every aspect of your life. Mm. Right? So let's look at D, right? The first thing is discipline. I think my story to you for my canoeing days, mm. right? It shows that discipline, as long as you have discipline, and the discipline mentality to follow through with your plan. Mm. You can't do too badly. Mm. To put it in context for you, uh, China has a population of one over billion people. Absolutely. Man. Singapore has a population of five million. Yeah. We want China. Wow. Right? Through pure discipline and grit. Right? Secondly, in terms of C, consistency. Right? Now, Resh, there's a reason why I brought this toilet paper here mm -hmm. to show you today. Okay, uh, to put it in some context for the viewers, this is a five-layer embossed feather pattern individually packed toilet paper. Dude, I want to wipe my ass with it, man. There you go. <laughs> this is a gift for you. <laughs> oh, this is for me, bro. Yes, Rich. Wow, thank you so much, brother. Uh, uh, behind this, I, I want to tell a story about this toilet paper. Sure. Right? Because I think this toilet paper epitomizes what consistency is. Mm. Okay? We see this in our toilets every day. Mm. Right? And at the end of one week, two weeks, or maybe one month, we will see an empty toilet roll. Mm. Everybody sees it, right? Yep. Some people take two weeks to finish a toilet roll. Mm. 
some people take one month, mm. some people take two months. Mm. I think that is very similar to life, sales, and ourselves. Mm. How fast do you want to achieve your goals? Mm. Do you want to achieve it in two weeks? Do you want to achieve it in one month? Do you want to achieve it in one year, two years, or 10 years, mm. right? At the end of the day, when you are in the toilet doing your thing, when you're pulling the toilet paper, mm. nobody sees these actions, right? Nobody sees your silent actions every day, mm. right? Or pulling the toilet paper. Mm. But at the end of two weeks or one month, we mm. see that some people finish it faster. Mm. Why? Because of all the silent actions that goes on behind the scene. Mm. I think this is consistency. Bro, where do you come up with energy when taking a shit and come up with energy? <laughs> I think we need daily reminders. Okay. Right? To remind ourselves to be consistent in our life, consistent with our goals, and wow. consistent in the effort we put in to achieve what we want to achieve. Oh, you shit, man. Right? Dude, my shits are never going to be the same again. Absolutely, Rash. So every time you shit, look at the toilet paper. Sure, How fast do you want to achieve your goals, Rash? I mean, you are already a very established and a reputable investor yourself, yes, yes. right? I'm sure you have bigger goals, right? I'm sure you have other goals that you are aiming for in life, yep, yep, right? Yep. How fast do we want to achieve them, mm. right? Mm. How fast do you want to finish that toilet roll? Mm -hmm. I think that is something that we can take away from a humble toilet roll like this. Interesting. And attitude, tell me about attitude. So attitude, uh, right? Yeah. I'm in the sales industry. Yep. And of course, sales industry naturally it is an industry of rejection. Absolutely. Right? Mm. No doubt about that. Now, I think what defines a champion salesperson is how they are able to overcome these rejections, mm. not just fast, but effectively and move on. Mm. Because in this industry, you need to have conversations with people. Mm. And, but if you are affected by every rejection, you take it personally, that's when you take a longer time to recover, mm. which means the next prospect that you're going to talk to, you're going to take a longer time, which means you're going to take a longer time to achieve your goals mm. because you need activities. Mm. Activity leads and gains follow, mm. right? So in terms of attitude, right, I want to share three tips on how I maintain this bulletproof mentality mm. as well as a, net, a mentality that is positive mm. consistently and as well as uh, to do this uh, very effectively, mm -hmm. okay? Um, first, it's called anchoring, okay? I'm pretty sure you might have heard of this. Mm. So Jordan Belfort in his book, right? Uh, I believe it's called... Uh, Straight Line. No. Uh, so Jordan Belfort is one of his books, right? He, he, he uses a technique called olfactory anchoring. Yes. Which means every time he feels negativity or mm. he wants to be positive again, he sniffs a certain scent, mm, right? He sniffs <laughs> a scent, it knocks him out of negativity, he moves on, mm. right? For me, I use, I, I, I definitely it to be slightly different. Yeah. I use something called appetite anchoring. Appetite anchoring. Yeah, because I love food, right? Okay. Go for a nice food. Okay. Right, go and have a feast, uh. right? Go and have a buffet by yourself. Mm. Just go and wall up the whole thing, mm. right? Go and load up the good carbs and good proteins. Don't worry, it's good advice for, uh, you know, people <laughs> are a bigger, but sure, continue. Uh, yeah, so I do appetite anchoring. Okay. Whenever I'm negative, uh. I go and have a good meal. Okay. I mean, for, for the audience out there, it can be anything. Mm. Right? It can be a workout. Yes, it can be a run. workout, it can be go and have some good sex, mm. you know. It can be anything you want, mm. right? But yes, associate that activity mm. with positivity. Mm. So that whenever negativity starts to creep in, mm. you do that activity to mm. anchor your mind in a positive zone again, mm -hmm. right? So that is the first thing, mm. anchoring. Mm. Number two is what I call relative circumstance. Okay. Now, what does relative circumstance mean, right? 
So whenever I'm feeling negative, I think of something worse that can happen to me. Mm. So for example, I imagine to myself mm. that a doctor just told me, hey, Shing, you have five days left to live mm. because now you have stage four stomach cancer. Mm. Will my rejection and will my rejection and my current uh, negative uh, scenario matter so much to me? Mm. I don't think so. Right? So when you imagine something worse, your current problems is nothing mm. compared to that. Mm. Right? So this is what I imagine to myself. Of course, it takes some creativity, right? Also, you need to visualize it very properly mm. to do a proper, proper uh, relative circumstance scenario. Mm. For me, I use health, mm. right? As, as that scenario, okay? So this is number two, relative circumstance. Number three, if the first two doesn't help, I usually escalate to the final one, mm. right? Which is called physical pain. Sure. Mm. Yeah, no, I don't cut myself, bro. Okay. Yeah. So, but yes, physical pain, right? I imagine myself in physical pain. What kind of physical pain? Mm. Not just the gym kind of physical pain. Mm. I imagine myself in a scene from a movie, mm. okay? You may or may not know this movie, but let me explain the scene to you. Uh. Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> <laughs> no, something more gory, bro. Okay, sure, bro. <laughs> so, there is a bad guy, yeah. there is the good guy. Yeah. The bad guy trapped the good guy in a room. Okay. Okay, now this room, in one minute time, the oxygen will cut off. Oh, shit. The good guy will definitely die, mm. right? Now, how can a good guy free himself from the room? In the room, there is a hole in a pit. Uh. In the pit, there's like, 10,000 injection needles. Mm. Inside the pit is where the key is to the door oh, to shit. escape. Okay. So this guy, either you wait one minute, the oxygen run out, you die, or you take that one minute to go and dig inside the pit and find the key oh, to unlock the door. Right? Uh. I imagine myself as the good person trying to find the key oh, and man. all the injection needles are stuck in me and I'm digging through the key. <laughs> you see, that is the expression I want to see. When you cringe like this, uh. then you suddenly, oh, Ah, my rejection is nothing. Okay. Client reject me, it's okay. You know? Okay. So yes, I escalate to physical pain and that, that, that imagination wow. when I think that the first two things doesn't help. Okay. Right? So okay. these are the three methods I do mm. to keep my mind tip-top, to keep it resilient mm. and to keep it positive, which mm. I think are very three, which I think is very important mm. in a sales line like ours because mm. the morale, the motivation has to be tip-top at any moment, mm. right? When you speak to the client, they can see it because they want to see that confidence, they want to see the positivity, right? And they want to see that someone that is very comfortable and knows his stuff, mm. right? So we, we try to get rid of negativity or rather I try to get rid of negativity mm. and these are the three things that I use to snap me out of that. Incredible. Hey guys, Shing here. If you want to find out how this humble toilet roll can help you to succeed in all areas of your life, stay tuned. Guys, make sure you like, comment, subscribe. It's been an amazing episode. Now, let's get back to it. All right, so dude, I, you know, I really, really appreciate that, man. You know, seriously, the whole idea of anchoring yourself, right? Making yourself change state, uh, you know, making yourself feel that pain and all that stuff. It's, these are all very actionable things people can actually take away. So I want to ask you, brother, what is your vision for your life? What, what do you want to achieve? Tell me about that. All right. So, Resh, I want to spend my life living, not working. So, a goal that I set for myself, right, for myself, is actually I want to achieve financial independence by the time I'm 35 or 36 latest. What is financial independence to you? To me, financial independence means not being able to work, working because I want to, not because I need to. Okay. Which means 
our need passive income sources, yep. right? That is already coming in, right? So yes, this is what I'm achieving, aspiring to achieve. Now, there needs to be a certain period of sacrifice, right, in life. Mm. I take that as the period now, mm. right? Because I really believe that if you can stay focused for a couple of years, these couple of years can really set you up for life. Just like where I, where I am now in life, right? Because of my current uh, level of activity in my sales and also in terms of my clients that I have, a lot of them are giving me very passive referrals. And this is the holy grail for every uh, financial advisor out there. Because with a very strong referral system, right? For me, it's a matter of just following up with clients. I don't really have to prospect or find new clients anymore, mm. right? But yes, I have been through my own set of uh, learning curve, mm. my own set of struggles, because I, I, I typically do not go for warm market. Mm. In our context, it means I typically do not want to approach friends and family and all that, right? So my journey to TOT actually started from all cold leads, right? We do, uh, so we have certain channels or marketing, right? And all my clients started out cold. Mm. So as of this moment, of course, the cold clients have already become my warm clients, mm. right? And when you have a very strong and consistent and stable set of warm clients, mm. naturally, these become referral channels, mm. right? To expand your business. So in the next few years, this is what I foresee is going to happen for me mm. in terms of uh, servicing my current clients, mm. as well as servicing the referrals that they are going to give to me. And I think in the industry that I am, I'm very thankful that it gives me a lot of flexibility of time, mm. right? And I, I really treasure this a lot mm. because when I think back of my previous days working with, uh, uh, in a corporate setting, you know, nine to six, you definitely have to be in the, the office. office yeah. yeah, and it is scary when you, when you continue to use this nine to six mentality, but now, you are in your own business, mm. right? The motivation is much more. Mm. And in this nine to six setting, you are no longer working for someone else. I'm working for myself, mm. right? How much effort I want to put in is entirely up to me. How, how much I want to DCA my life is entirely up to me, mm -hmm. right? And I think this freedom comes with responsibility and this responsibility, I don't take lightly because this is a responsibility to myself and to my own life, mm. right? Which I told you, I want to spend my life living, not working. Incredible, bro. 35, you're done. 35, 36. Give me some time, Rish. Okay. <laughs> time to catch up, bro. <laughs> but dude, so uh, tell us about some uh, stories, bro. Yeah. You've been to some interesting places. Mm. Palestine, West Bank mm. and all that. Mm. Give, us, give us one or two interesting stories about that. Okay. So maybe I'll share two travel experiences that okay, I have. Sure. I think one would be India. The other one would be in West Bank. Mm. So at the end of year two in university, that's when a lot of students, they start to apply for exchange programs, mm. right? For me, I was too lazy to go and submit the forms or that. Mm. I didn't see the point of going through so much administration just to go for an exchange program. So I decided to start my own exchange program. It means mm. I plan my own, right? So I decided to buy a one-way ticket to India, right? At the point of time, I really just wanted to experience life. I wanted to see outside of this comfort zone of Singapore. So I bought a one-way ticket to Chennai, mm. okay? And with no return ticket. I told myself I wanted to spend one month there. In <laughs> Chennai? Yes. Okay. So I flew to Chennai, it was hot as hell. Uh, it's in the east of India, yeah. right? 
and I said, okay, what's next? Uh. And I said, okay, next town, people tell me that there's this, uh, there's this place called Mysore, uh. not far from Chennai. Yes, you yes, need yes. to take a train. So I went to the train station. I, you know, a foreigner, everything is in Tamil, uh. right? Or, or whichever dialect that was in that part of India. So I followed the queue. Mm. Later did I know that queue was actually for the common class tickets, which means the lowest of the lowest. Wow. Right? So imagine my shock when I turned up at the train, uh, at the train departure timing and I realized my ticket is common class and mm. the, the whole cabin is filled with people. Wow. There were people below the seats, they were below on top the wow. railings. Did you go on there? Yeah, then, the, then there were some uh, people inside, they said, oh, foreigner, you in here? Okay, ask them to make the way for me. Then, okay, <laughs> my foreigner, the backpack, go inside, <laughs> sit beside them. Uh-huh. Sat beside there, wow, then they were telling me, it was, to be honest, quite intimidating yeah. because I knew at any moment, if things go awry, there's nothing I can do, yeah. right? So, no, but yes, whenever there are humans, they can feel, right? There's empathy, you smile, mm. some things are universal, universal. Of course, of course. So that became a train trip that I will never forget in my life, mm. right? Because throughout the trips, they were offering me things to eat mm. and then they were talking about their life. So these people, uh, which I think your viewers might have a chance to see the picture on their mm. screens, they travel to the city two, three hours every day just mm. to work, mm. earn some money, go to the village, go mm. back to the village, right? I think that was one point of my life that I realized how lucky I was. Mm. Just the fact that we are born in Singapore, right? Mm. Just the fact that we are born in this part of the world, right? Where we have relative comfort, we have shelter, food, right? It's already a huge blessing. Mm, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So yes, India was one of the defining trips for me because after that, after that experience, I actually spent one month in India mm. from the east uh, to Mysore, Kombitor, and then to the south, Kerala, right? And then to Mumbai, and then to Rishikesh, which is where all the ashrams are at. Yes, yes, yes. That one month, um, yeah, I think it taught me another perspective of, of life. Mm. Right? The beauty of travelling. Huh? Absolutely. It widens your perspectives. Mm. It teaches you about people, life, food, and it gives you a new experience, which mm. I really encourage um, Singaporeans to do that. You know, not just to your typical travel locations like go for Bali for a holiday. Mm. But yes, trips like these help you to find another dimension of yourself, mm. which I never really thought I would have. Incredible. Right? And it helps you to be very adaptable to mm. a new country. Tell me a West Bank, bro. So West Bank was at the end of my university when I decided to go for a graduation trip. I had a buddy of mine, his mm. name is called Ronald. Mm. Ronald is, was studying Arabic. Mm. So he was actually uh, sent from the Singapore University that he was at as a, on an exchange program to the University of Jordan. Mm. For some context, Jordan is beside West Bank. Yes, yes, right? yes. So, you know, I went to visit him in Jordan and decided, okay, why not? Let's combine balls. Mm. to go to West Bank together, right? Because he, he's fluent in Arabic. Yeah. So, okay, let's go. Because I want to see what's happening in that part of the world, mm. right? Because in Jerusalem, right, it's, it's, it's a center for four major religions. Mm. The Temple Mount, Al-Aqsa area, right? Mm. It's, 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 it's sacred to the Jewish, Jews, yeah. the Christians, Muslims. the Armenians, yeah. as well as the Muslims. Yeah. So, as you know, Jerusalem is split into four quarters, yeah. right? So. That, that part was uh, quite eye-opening for me because, again, it taught me about not to take the religious and political stability that we have in Singapore for granted. Mm. But I think what's, what was more interesting for me is where we decided to cross into West Bank, mm. right, in Palestine. We went to places like Ramallah, uh, deep into West Bank. So at that time, I even memorized, at that time, I even memorized the Fatiha mm. because at certain parts of the West Bank, 
you actually saw the ISIS flag. No, seriously. Right? So, I, I memorized the Fatiha just to be safe and so that I could access uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Wow. Because at that time, uh, the IDF, which is an Israeli Defense Force, actually yeah. closed up the areas to non-Muslims. It okay. was during Ram uh, Ramadan. Okay, yeah. But I was there already. Wow. I cannot skip the chance to see the Al-Aqsa and the Temple Mount and yeah, everything, yeah. right? So, because of that, I memorized the Fatiha, oh. right? So, it's, uh, let me just give you a sneak, sneak peek. Huh? Sure, <laughs> Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, maliki yomadin. Iyaka na'abudu wa iyaka nastayim. Wow. Okay? I'll leave the rest for next time. Wow. <laughs> wow. So, yes, we spent two weeks in West Bank. Wow. Um, many crazy experiences and it was during the fasting month. Mm. So, I remember on the day that I was in the uh, Temple Mount, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, right? Mm. It was the final day of Ramadan, mm. which means Muslims would spend the whole night praying. Mm. And when we were there, we couldn't extract ourselves because it started getting very crowded. Yep. And it would be very weird if we were to walk out in the middle of that prayer. Yeah. So we spent six hours at the top there, mm. repeating the whole motions, mm. right? But it was, I have to say, it was quite a spiritual experience for me. Wow. Because yes, I put myself uh, into the, the shoes of someone who's practicing. Uh. And yeah, you, when you are in such a historic place, uh. biblical place, right? A very uh. sacred place, yeah. you do feel a certain uh, sense of emotion when you're wow, there. Wow, wow. Yes. Incredible, man. Wow. Amazing, right? Again, these trips really change your perspective, make you think, and, and in light of all, everything that's going on right now, right? Mm. How blessed we are mm. to be where we are currently right Absolutely now. Absolutely right. Uh, peace and prosperity that we have as well. You know, incredible. Right, so Shing, you know, to end off the interview, it's been, it's been an amazing, amazing time. You know, I, I've been so, I love your stories. I've been enthralled by everything that you shared, right? But just to end it off, maybe, uh, you know, if you could share one thing, mm. right? What's the one tip you give to a viewer? who is thinking like, hey man, you know, I really want to succeed in my life. I want to break through, I want to achieve, mm. you know, the highest ranks, right? Mm. Like what, uh, how can I start? What do I need to do, Shing? Great. So if I can sum up your question in mm. one sentence, yep. right? It is not the size of a dog in a fight, but the size of a fight in a dog. Mm. Now, all of you guys are at different stages of your life. Mm. Are you willing to put in the effort to fight for what you want in life? Material goals, health goals, well-being goals, right? And if your, the size of the fight is strong enough, trust me, you will do everything in your resources, everything in your means to make that happen. And this means finding out who to talk to, learning new skills, right? Being consistent in your day-to-day -day activities, whichever that is. So yes, Fresh, to answer your question, do you, has, do you have the size of the fight in you, mm. right? To fight for what you want in life. Nothing dogs, comes cheap. Go. Nothing comes cheap. Absolutely. There is a sacrifice. Are you willing to put in that sacrifice? Mm. If you are willing to do so, then you start to change yourself. That's when you see many things around you will start to change and go your way. All right. Big dogs, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. My man, I, I loved it so much. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Make sure you like, you comment below, below what was your favorite part of this entire conversation. And make sure you subscribe to Modern Wealth Podcast so you see many more amazing guests like Shane, my man. Thank you so much for being here, bro. Till next time. What up?